This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Today's hot question has to do with the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, This in light of a couple of big announcements already today. We know the border between Canada and the United States will be closed to all non-essential traffic. That will not affect trade. Trade will continue. Goods will continue going back and forth across the border. But there will not be any tourism, any non-essential traffic on that border. We're also learning that the House of Commons will be recalled as soon as possible. Uh, Probably in some kind of modified way, as given the fact that we're all being told to socially distance or physically distance, as some people are saying, to stay within one to two meters of other people. My guess is there'll be a bit of a modification when that happens. So we will keep you up to date on all of that, though. And we thought for today's hot question of the day, we want to really focus on the good that we are seeing in people. I heard a, a story from a coworker. Somebody slipped a note under someone's apartment door yesterday. They heard someone coughing and said, hey, Are you self-isolating? Are you sick? If so, do you need groceries? Do you need uh, some errands run? Do you need anything? Which I think is really great. And we have to keep in mind that those stories are happening and there are certainly ways to continue helping others while still maintaining our own health and staying healthy ourselves. So for our question of the day today, we are asking you, mandated closures and work from home measures to prevent the spread of COVID-19 are having a major impact on businesses right across Canada, particularly small businesses. So we want to know, are you doing anything to help businesses in your neighborhood, to help in any way you can? And we put a few options out there that you can vote on on Twitter. Are you buying a gift card? Are you ordering takeout? Have you signed up for food delivery to try and help a business that way? Uh, So far, most of those who have responded say they're ordering takeout. Uh, Seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? We still need to eat. Ordering takeout still supports businesses, restaurants, and does so in a way that we're not putting ourselves in close proximity with others and still maintaining that safe distance. But I want to hear from you, and if none of those is an option that you are participating in, give the Buzz line a call, 604-331-BUZZ. That is 604-331-2899. You can vote on the Buzz line and leave your comments there too. Maybe you have another idea, a great idea on ways to help out businesses, whatever size business in your neighborhood. Uh, I did hear some people talk about buying gift cards and thought that was a pretty smart thing to do because it's kind of like a mini loan. You're spending the money, the money goes to the business. And if it's a gift card, say for a restaurant or a bar or a place that is closed, yeah, you're going to use it in the future. You'll use it when they open up again, but at least they get the cash in the meantime. All right, we are continuing to look at the stimulus package that was announced this morning, getting a better idea on what exactly that means, what's going to happen in the coming days and the near future. And this is on top of the other big announcement this morning, one of the new measures announced by the federal government as we continue to find the spread of COVID-19. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announcing that the Canada-U.S. border will be closed to non-essential travel. He says trade, however, will not be impacted. Our governments recognize that it is critical 
that we preserve supply chains between both countries. These supply chains ensure that food, fuel, and life-saving medicines reach people on both sides of the border. Supply chains, including trucking, will not be affected by this new measure. Canadians and Americans cross the border every day to do essential work or for other urgent reasons. That will not be impacted. Let's bring in Michael Campbell. He is the host of Money Talks on Saturdays. Michael, great to talk to you during the week. Well, there's a heck of a lot to talk about, to be honest. I mean, there's so many directions here. The stimulus package today or the help package today for people who are directly impacted. And let me just say this, Jill. This is so unusual in this way. The government doesn't want you to work. This is one of the big differences. I've never seen this before. So when they are making it easier uh, for people who are self-employed, for example, to get help from the government, obviously unemployed getting help for the government. They have some measures to help the homeless shelters, that kind of thing. But the idea was, when I've heard some of the commentary on this, you know, people say, well, God, it's going to make it too easy. Like, you, d- you don't even have to go- have a doctor's note to stay home. You can just, you know, testify yourself as to the need for that. You can stay home to take care of a family member. All of those things, because this is the big difference, is they want you to stay home. I mean, this, this is just an absolutely unprecedented case where we are consciously shutting down the economy. It is different because in the past, you're right, it has been uh, do everything we can. And that's the worst case scenario is if you have to stay home. But you're right. The advice now is stay home if you can. Uh, yeah. do, when we talk about the border itself and the fact that they are shutting it down to non-essential uh, traffic, not a huge surprise. We knew those talks were mm-hmm. underway. Uh, how do you see that playing out? Well, obviously, we're seeing, you know, one of the things the market does is give you a reflection on how it's being interpreted. So this is a disaster for tourism. We've, that was the first thing out of the gate when we started to talk about the impact of the novel coronavirus. Going back a couple of months, we said, man, this is going to be terrible for tourism. Well, now you remove the American component. And, uh, you know, I just can't even imagine the stress this is putting un- uh, businesses under from major hotel chains, tour operators. Uh, the list is just such a long one. I mean, restaurateurs, again, think about this. We're in, uh, you know, usually we encourage tourism, you know, dramatically so. You know, it's a big initiative of government. Let's bring people from other parts of the world to spend money in our economy. Well, again, that stopped dead. So that's an example. I mean, obviously, the prime minister uh, is correctly worried about, uh, you know, people worried about shortages of things. And that's why he's talking about the trade will continue. He's talking about supplies will continue across the border because we have a fully integrated relationship with both Mexico and the United States primarily. So that's, uh, you know, that's why they're spending time on that. And that's a good thing. I mean, that's a good thing that they're emphasizing that. So let's you know, there's a tendency I, I'm sensing, and I'm not sure you, you're, you're looking at the buzz line and hearing these kinds of things. Uh, I'm not sure that, I mean, it looks like there is panic in the air to me. Certainly in the stock market, we're not trading stocks anymore. We are trading panic. And we've been saying that, by the way, for well over a month on Money Talks, that fundamentals cease to be the issue. We are t- trading psychology. But that's what I'm seeing. So I, I was glad to see him try to assure Canadians, you don't have to run out and buy toilet paper. You don't have to run out and buy hand sanitizer, let alone groceries, you know, or other important, uh, you know, trade related uh, items that we purchase. So uh, that's important. And so they're doing their best to have that continue. But I sense it's not so much from an economic perspective, but let's make sure that people aren't, uh, 
you know, panicking in terms of clearing out the grocery shelves as, as one example. No, exactly. Uh, looking at the markets today and losses uh, on uh, right across the board today, uh, how do markets generally respond? And not that we've had a stimulus package like this any time in the recent past, but how, how do the markets generally respond when we have governments coming out with these types of stimulus packages? Well, I think today's stimulus package, uh, no, sorry, it was three, three parts focused. One is saying if you're in business and you've got to have a cash flow or a credit payment uh, problem, we're addressing that too. We're going into the credit markets. We're trying to help with lines of credit, that kind of thing. So that's important. Uh, but they are also focusing on individuals who are worried about loss of income, whether they're forced to stay home because of sickness, whether they've been told to stay home, you know, again, uh, surrounding the novel coronavirus spread, that kind of thing. They're trying to address those people, including self-employed, that's a big change here, and making it easier, making it quicker, because they want to put money in your pocket. So they're also that was also part today. But the the big overview that you're seeing in the stock market, and and you know when you have a methodology and you approach these things, I think this is misunderstood. But you know, so I've got a methodology, a computer modeling that I'm party to, that we have been laying out a scenario that's very similar to this since September. And so it gives you confidence that what you see coming next is in fact going to happen. And we have a problem in the credit markets. The Bank of Canada is well aware of it. Uh, uh, Governor uh, Stephen Polos talked about it this morning. Again, whether the media understands that's what he's really talking about uh, is, I don't know. But he talked about they were into the market yesterday to keep the functioning of the credit markets with $35 billion. Last week, the Federal Reserve promised $1.5 trillion over the next 30 days to make sure our credit markets are functioning, which is obviously a phenomenally important key. So, uh, you know, when I wa- watch the stock market, all you're trading now is, again, fear and psychology. You're making guesses. Like, for example, I'm looking at the oil companies. Clearly, some of the valuations are basically saying there's a 90% probability you're out of business. That, I mean, we're, we're seeing such profound drops in asset value just over 90 days. Like, it's, it's uh, you know, we're back to what happened in 2008 with the credit crisis, but on steroids. This is worse. Uh, we're eliminating, you know, one and two years worth of gains. We've got oil at an 18-year low, thanks to the actions of Saudi Arabia in their price war with Russia. And by the way, they're hoping they put businesses like the shale oil uh, boom down in the States. They hope they put them out of business. They want to take their competitors out. Yes, they focused on Russia, but they definitely think that, you know, it's a very big positive if they can stop North American production too. So there's just so much going on. (laughs) That there is, uh, for sure. Uh, You mentioned 2008 because I think a lot of people are comparing it to that, and that's the most recent or the last last recession, the last downturn similar to this we have. Uh, But I see comparisons as well, going back that we haven't had had this kind of volatility uh, since the Depression. Uh, Absolutely. You know, this is one of the few advantages of getting really old like me. As I very clearly remember all of the lessons I learned in 1987 in the October 19th crash. But one of those lessons, for example, because I'm getting questions this way. Well, why is gold selling off? Why is this selling off? I'll tell you why, because it's a liquidity and a cash problem. So what happens in these kinds of environments in the markets is a lot of times I've, I've got a big problem over here. And the only thing I can sell is stuff that's actually fairly positive. So we end up selling our good stuff to protect our bad stuff. And keep in mind, this is what's happening, by the way, in the stock market. There's so many internal things happening. It it, it was triggered by the coronavirus. 
uh, predicated on a system that had been built on credit. So we're unraveling the credit system right now. That's the big issue. That's why it's so abrupt. And then you get into sort of more, uh, more daily details is somebody owns a hotel chain and they're in big trouble. So they've sold their stocks to shore up that hotel chain. So we're seeing a lot of that. And it can be right down to the personal level, people saying, I want cash, so I'm selling stuff. So those kind of dynamics start impacting the market, which is why uh, going back about three weeks ago, I remember you and I chatting and you said, is this going to be good and this going to be good? You know, things that benefit sort of like whoever makes those wipes, that kind of thing. And I said, nothing's going to be good because it's going to be an avalanche because it's a liquidity problem first and foremost. All right. So we will leave it there. Mike Campbell, thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> I hope I helped clear things up and not made it more difficult. But what I will do, Jill, I promise on Money Talks, we've been on top of this extremely clearly. You and I have talked about pension problems. You might want to read up on it because you're about to get some. Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, Money Talks will clear this all up and tell people what they should be thinking of. As expected, there has been announcement uh, this morning. All non-essential travel across the U.S.-Canada border will be halted. That does not affect trade. Trade will continue, but it certainly does stop tourism and anybody not deemed essential from crossing back and forth. Well, let's bring in Len Saunders, immigration lawyer based in Blaine, Washington. Len, uh, we've talked to you many times. So great to have you back on the program. Thanks for having me on your program. A much different topic today. Uh, you are somebody I know that often travels back and forth uh, across the border uh, for your job. What does this mean for you? Well, this definitely will affect my business. And anybody who works in Blaine like me, um, it's interesting because um, I was up at Whistler over the weekend when the uh, when the ski hill shut down, and when I came back to Blaine on Monday, it was a ghost town, and it's even worse today. Like the gas stations, there's no Canadians buying gas down here. The mailbox uh, businesses, they're all basically vacant. Idling Dairy, which is in Blaine and always has a line almost out the door. There's nobody there. This town is virtually a ghost town, and it's getting worse with now, you know, the developments uh, today shutting the border down, essentially shutting the border down. Which, on the one hand, uh, is not good for businesses, uh, even though it is temporary, and while we don't know when it's going to stop, it will come to an end at some point. Uh, not good for businesses, but on the other hand, I suppose it, it is promising that people, even before the actual ban on travel was announced this morning, people are adhering to the rules because our officials in BC have been telling people, if you don't need to go across the border, please don't. Well, and I think many Canadians have been listening to that advice and taking it. Um, but now, I guess, you know, rather than just giving that advice, they're now saying you cannot travel to the U.S. unless it's for uh, uh, essential business travel, truckers. Um, even myself, I've stopped now traveling up to Canada. I think if I have to meet clients, I'd probably meet them at the Peace Arch Park. But really, there's not a lot of business going on. Like, not a lot of people are calling me about waivers or green cards. I think everyone's just holding their breath and wondering what's going to happen next. Uh, absolutely. Uh, up until this point, though, had you been hearing uh, from people who were concerned? I know some people do live uh, um, th that live on the, the U.S. side of the border. Uh, some people do live there and commute into Canada. Had you been getting calls or vice versa about people with concerns? Literally every few minutes, clients have been calling me, whether it's from Blaine or Point Roberts or Bellingham, half of Whatcom County commutes up to Vancouver to work. And it's interesting because I feel sorry for the people in Point Roberts. 
they have nowhere to go. Um, I spoke to one of my clients this morning whose wife works in Tawasin, and he wasn't sure if she was going to be able to go north. She was allowed in today, but he said to me, he went to the grocery store, and he said, there's no food here. The restaurants are closed. He said, what are people supposed to do for food? Um, so I guess unless you take a boat or an airplane off Point Roberts, there's nowhere to go um, you know, for food. I wondered about that. I'm glad you brought that up because when this was announced or even being talked about, I was thinking about Point Roberts as well because even though we're being told that trade is not affected, I was curious if that means they are stocking the grocery store in Point Roberts. And I think, I mean, there's a population of about a thousand people there. So there are going to be people that need things. I was curious about that. Well, exactly. And so when the client called me this morning and said, what do I do? I said, I guess hire a boat and come over to the mainland here. It was interesting because I did go up once yesterday uh, to meet a client in White Rock. And even though there was no uh, vehicle traffic going back and forth, what I did notice was the lines coming south for the trucks. I've never seen it so bad. The commercial traffic was massive. And then I sat for a while at the Peace Arch Port of Entry Uh, meeting a client at one of the picnic tables, and it was literally a steady stream of RVs going north. All of the Canadian snowbirders are obviously fleeing the U.S. and going to Canada. It was literally every 30 seconds to a minute. There was an RV or a big travel trailer. They were all going north through Peace Arch. Which makes sense, uh, given that uh, the Prime Minister has been saying, if you're a Canadian, the time to come home is now, and telling people to do that. When you were still going through the border, were they asking you any questions about sickness or making sure that you weren't somebody who had been exposed to COVID-19? Well, it's interesting because those questions started just over a week ago, about a week and a half ago. I had the questions, are you feeling ill? Have you been to to China or Italy within the last month? Yesterday, what they did was they actually handed out uh, a brochure about coronavirus. And actually, it was interesting because even though the officer wasn't giving me a hard time, you could tell they weren't very happy that I was traveling north, given what was, you know, the state of the affairs. And so after that trip yesterday, I decided, even before today, not to travel north anymore. It's just, I think it's, um, it's making the situation worse by traveling over the uh, U.S.-Canadian border. And uh, as for people that, like you said, a lot of people in Whatcom County work in Canada, uh, if they're looking for compensation, though, my guess is, would they, would they fall under the Canadian compensation or the American? Well, I think a lot of them probably have uh, benefits through B.C. You know, one of my clients, she works at Richmond General Hospital as an emergency nurse, So I don't know whether she's allowed north. Uh, Is that considered an essential service? These are the questions I'm getting, and I'm just telling people, watch the news. I don't know much more than um, than um, you know anybody else. It was interesting because when I did come south yesterday, I mentioned to one of the officers, U.S. officers, if there was going to be layoffs or um, overtime was going to be cut, and she said. We're all here, so they're still staffed up at the port of entry. But she said it's very quiet, very quiet. I've never seen it this quiet here in 20 years. Hmm. All right. Well, Len, we'll leave it there. I know you're not going to be uh, traveling anywhere uh, anytime in the next little while. We'll likely check back in with you uh, in a couple of days. But thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. No problem. Have a good day. Thanks. Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, spoke earlier today uh, talking about those border restrictions and what led to that decision. past few days, I've spoken to President Trump about what we can do to slow the spread of COVID-19. 
Deputy Prime Minister Freeland has been in touch with Vice President Pence and Secretary Pompeo. I just spoke to President Trump again this morning, and we have agreed that both Canada and the United States will temporarily restrict all non-essential travel across the Canada-U.S. border. So a huge decision, not one that caught people by surprise, I don't think. We got word yesterday that those talks were underway. And I think offering some comfort to people who understand it is the traveling of people with this virus that is what is spreading it from one place to the other. But what does this mean business-wise? The Prime Minister earlier said trade will not be affected. Trade between the two countries will continue. Let's bring in Bridget Anderson, CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade, joining us now to take a look at this border closure and what it means. Bridget, thanks so much for being back with us again. Hi, Jill. Uh, What is your response as far as the board and uh, this very much unprecedented move to close the border? Well, first of all, I mean, we are hearing very clearly from our members that they are suffering significant impacts in regards to particularly two things around uh, their cash flow and around their workers, their employees, and and what they can do to support them. So I was very happy today to see that there was a comprehensive aid package that was offered that provides both support for businesses and for workers as well. I mean, clearly this is still a very fluid situation. And again, I was pleased to see that the Prime Minister said he's prepared to do more if needed. Uh, There are a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainty about what the border closure means. Um, It does appear that goods can continue to move and that supply chain will stay intact. And that's really important message for people to hear, not only in the business community, but also for individuals and families to understand that the items that they're going to need in the coming days and weeks will be there. Um, But there are questions that remain, too, about um, timing and about uh, how this is going to work. And some of that is still unfolding. As I say, it's still very fluid. And as you know, the situation seems to change minute by minute. Absolutely. Uh, It is good news when you talk about that, the goods in the supply chain. And I was uh, reading earlier today, even if we're just looking at, say, medical supplies, something like 50% of medical supplies come into Canada from the United States. So obviously, we need that chain to continue. We need those supplies more than ever in our hospitals and healthcare centers. Uh, When we talk about other goods, though, because we are seeing so many closures, whether it's clothing stores, restaurants, bars, uh, goods still coming into Canada, is there any concern at all, though, that the workers aren't going to be there to deal with the goods. Well, there's no cons- there's no question at all, Jill, that uh, these are really unprecedented times, and there's more questions than answers right now. I think what's important to know is that those essential goods, so that would be food and medicine and those kinds of items that people need on a day to day basis, are, the supply chain seems to be intact for those items. As for other items, um, whether you're talking about clothing or you're talking about some of those other items that aren't deemed to be essential, and that's the big question. So what is deemed to be essential? But those items that maybe don't seem to be deemed as so essential, T-shirts or jeans or, or what um, some other items that were coming in, um, how, are, how are people going to access those when they need them? Um, I mean, this is we're going to see uh, a lot of people doing some online uh, purchasing for the items that they need. And so, as I say, uh, right now, I really think the focus needs to be and has been on essential goods and services and other items and other 
priorities will will come to bear in the coming days and weeks. Uh, because you mentioned your members too, and uh, it's, it's good, I think, to remember that while we're talking about the Board of Trade and we're talking about trade, the issue of trade, uh, your members are also family members and homeowners and business owners and people that will be directly impacted. And also we're looking at that aid package and looking at what the government uh, is doing to help. Two-thirds of our members are small um, and medium business owners, and for a lot of those in Greater Vancouver, those are very small operations of could be five people, so we're talking about people's livelihoods. So the measures announced today gives some certainty and gives some relief where it is most needed. I think the one thing that uh, businesses are looking for is certainty in this time where nothing seems to be certain and the goalposts seem to be changing on a regular basis. So as we move through this, um, businesses are coming to us and saying that it's one of the most uh, important things that, they, that the government can do beyond providing support is to be clear, to be decisive and to be swift, to do fast action where it's needed and to provide that clarity so that businesses and communities and individuals have some idea of what is happening and how to respond to that. Uh, and you raised an interesting point when we talk about essential services. I mean, it's easy to put healthcare into that. It's easy to put the food supply into essential services. But there is kind of that gray area and that, that message that we're hearing again and again from the federal government for telling people, stay home. Uh, but everybody can't stay home if we want to keep things still operating on some level. Well, there's no question that this is having significant economic impacts and, you know, it's going to take weeks or months to fully understand what those are because the situation is still rapidly evolving. Um, if people, people do need to follow the advice of health officials and the government, if people do need to stay home, health and safety has to come first. And the economic impacts um, were fully, it will take us time to understand those, but there's no question this is significant, which is why it's important that the government provide support like it did today. And it also messaged that it's continuing to look at what other aid and support can be provided in the coming days and weeks. Uh, is there anything uh, from what you can gather from what was announced today in the financial aid package? Is there anything that's kind of glaring as missing or that you're hearing from your members uh, that they would like to see addressed? One of the things that we are hearing from some of our members that own those smaller uh, businesses or even, you know, in the service industry is, again, um, are they having to lay people off? Certainly, um, you know, they, some of them are closing. Some of them have been indicated that they should close like, like a bar, but there's a bit of a gray area for some, particularly in the restaurant industry and some of those other um, in retail. So, I think that's where it would be very helpful for government to be as decisive as possible so that people can follow the guidelines and can make the decisions that they need to need so that they need to make so that their businesses and and as importantly as their employees can get the support that they need. All right. Uh, we will leave it there. Bridget Anderson with the Board of Trade. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you again. Thanks, Jill. Stay well. Well, as you know, as we have heard from the Prime Minister and other health officials, the advice being given to Canadians is stay home if you can. Work from home if you can. For others, uh, their jobs have been suspended while we deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. But there are a number of jobs where that is not the option, not an option, and uh, there's a good reason for that. Firefighters, one group in that uh, group of jobs. But what happens when those first-line responders are exposed to potentially somebody with COVID-19? Well, let's bring in Bruce Ferguson. He is the Deputy Fire Chief with the Township of Langley and joins me on the line. Bruce, thanks so much for being with us. 
You're welcome. Good morning. Good morning to you. What happened then? We understand eight Langley Township firefighters were possibly exposed to COVID-19. What happened? So we got called to a call for service at a residence, and uh, we went to the residence. We'd actually been there uh, uh, four times. Uh, the first two times we were there, um, the the person was not deemed contagious, but the last time that we were there, he was deemed contagious. So I got a phone call from Fraser Health and uh, asking for the contact information of those members that attended those two incidents. <clears throat> they were then instructed to self-quarantine and they were monitored by Fraser Health. Two of them have since been cleared to return to work because they had no direct contact with the person. Uh, They were actually the drivers of the apparatus. But the other six of them remain in isolation at their homes until the uh, 24th of this month. All right. And at this point, though, they're not showing uh, any symptoms? Currently, nobody has reported any symptoms whatsoever. Uh, Still, it's got to be concerning, especially when we're dealing with something like this and this unprecedented response and what we don't when we don't know what's going to be happening next. Uh, You'd want first responders, including firefighters, to be at full complement. Absolutely. Absolutely. It could be devastating if we, uh, you know, get several exposures like this and have to take our crews out for 14 days for isolation. Or even worse, if any of our um, our personnel experience symptoms or come down with COVID-19. Uh, are firefighters doing anything differently as far as protecting themselves when they're dealing with the general public? We um, we do have protective measures that we that we typically do with personal protective equipment and, uh, you know, gloves, face masks, uh, impervious gowns, booties, hairnets, all that kind of stuff. If we know that we're going to a sick person, where the issue becomes a little bit gray is where we get called to a call for service that is not medically oriented, as was this one. This one was an assist for a lift. So meaning somebody uh, needed help being lifted inside their own home. There was It wasn't called through BC Ambulance. It was a direct call to the fire service. It doesn't That seems strange that somebody who is in a position where they would need assist for a lift would have also been in a position where they were exposed to the virus, doesn't it? Well, I'm not sure what the history of this person was before we, like I say, we'd been there twice prior to that, but we didn't have a history of, uh, of his place prior to those uh, incidents. So, you know, I mean, it's often elderly um, people that have mobility issues. Uh, they'll they'll call us to help. You know, they they fall or or they need to be moved and they can't get anybody else to help them. They'll call us and and typically we go and help them out. Right. So, and was this somebody? Then this was in their private home. We're not talking about somebody who was in a, a long term care home. That's correct. He was in a. He was in a. It was a townhouse complex, but his private home. Mm. So, does anything change then if you're called or if your members are called to these types of calls? Do you now have to ask? Have you traveled or have you been? Is there any chance that you've had an exposure? Absolutely. We've we've heightened our awareness level. We're instructing our crews to ask the questions. We're restricting the amount of people that actually enter the the premises wherever possible. If we're going, if we're going to a medical-related call, if there's no critical intervention that's required, we'll wait for BC Ambulance to attend first, so they can attend first, and we'll be there uh, to help them as required. But if possible, we won't put anybody inside the residence unless it's absolutely necessary.
And how are firefighters dealing then with self-isolating in that? If you, I, I know a lot of the fire halls, there's a lot of communal meals and people work long shifts that they're often close together. Has that changed as well? Um, that hasn't changed with the, to that respect. However, there's uh, there's a lot more focus on cleanliness. You know, they're they're uh, washing down and and uh, with you know sterilizing and uh, anti germiciding counters, telephones, all that kind of stuff. Way more than they normally did. Typically, fire halls are pretty clean. Now they're extremely clean. You know, after meals, they're making sure everything gets wiped down. One person to do the cooking, one person to do the cleaning, and and trying to take as many precautions as absolutely possible. Absolutely. Uh, have you heard of this happening at any other fire departments at this point? Um, I think there are other firefighters that are in isolation. Um, I don't have any numbers or specifics, but I'm, I'm I know we're not the only ones. So other departments, even in in Metro Vancouver? Correct. Uh, Well, it's certainly, uh, it it really uh, kind of brings the idea home. I mean, it's one thing uh, if somebody's exposed and they don't have any symptoms and they're they're self-isolating, but uh, it could get to to a point where, well, I mean, the services are always important, but if things uh, get much worse, firefighters are going to be needed on those front lines. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, um, Personal protective equipment may be an issue as well. Um, you know, just like toilet paper, people are hoarding toilet paper. Well, lots of people are buying up all the stuff that we typically use as well. And if that supply uh, becomes compromised, then it will um, inhibit our ability to assist as well. Uh, which is another strong message for people, Exam. We've been trying to tell people that too, in that, that these are the, the crews that need this stuff, not the general public stockpiling it at home. Exactly. All right, well, we will leave it there. And this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Uh, here's to hope for the best for those who are isolated and that they don't have any symptoms and are able to get back to work after the isolation. But thank you so much for joining us to talk about this today. You're very welcome. You have a great day. Um, We've been looking at what's happening in Europe and the number of cases, particularly in places like Italy and France, where extreme measures have been taken to stop the spread, or at least try to stop the spread of COVID-19. A bit later on in this program, we are going to talk to a chef in Italy. He has been in self-isolation in his apartment in Rome for several days. We'll find out how things are going and what he is seeing on the ground. Right now, though, let's check in with Redmond Shannon. He is the European uh, Europe correspondent for Global News and joins us uh, now. Redmond, thank you so much for taking a few minutes with us. Good morning, Jill. Uh, what is happening as far as new measures that are taking place uh, in Europe to fight this uh, virus? Well, the British government within the last couple of hours have come out, uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson, and has finally done what almost every other government in Europe has done already, and that is to close schools. Uh, the British government was facing a lot of criticism for... Uh, what some said was dragging its feet on this measure, although the British government said it was based on science, that it didn't want to take certain measures too early because they had limited effect and that there would be fatigue from these happening. However, 
this move came from London, the British government, that will go across the UK from Friday. And it came after the devolved governments within the UK of Wales and Scotland made these moves earlier this morning. So they took it into their own hands, uh, like provinces perhaps would do in Canada, and, and said, we're doing it. And uh, London came out then and said, well, it's across the UK. So that then covers England and Northern Ireland as well come Friday. And there is no return date for the time being. So once schools close here in the UK on Friday, then there's uh, no return. However, there are exceptions, and that is to uh, vulnerable students, as they put it, and children of key workers. So healthcare staff in the UK delivery workers who work in the food industry, police, emergency services workers, and some other workers which have yet to be detailed. But the children of those people who need to work during this crisis will be taken care of in school. They may not be educated necessarily, but they will. it will act in some ways as a daycare. So finally, the UK is matching its neighbours either side of it in closing schools down. And uh, the steps that still haven't been taken, of course, in the UK are closing down uh, restaurants and bars and other major businesses which have closed in, in Ireland, in France, in Spain, in Italy, of course. Uh, the UK doing things a little later than most countries in Europe, but it continues to say from the British government level, Prime Minister Boris Johnson and his chief scientist and chief medical officer say it's based on the science and the strategy that they wish to pursue. Uh, interesting, because uh, I know there has been some criticism or at least some questioning as to uh, the delay or those decisions being made, like you said, uh, that have already been made in some other areas. Uh, it sounds very similar to what we saw yesterday in B.C. with the schools and government officials being quick to say the schools aren't closed. What has been suspended is in-class instruction and very much the same group that you just mentioned will still have access to those buildings. Um, how are things as far as the numbers and the testing and what's happening on the medical side? in the UK? Well, in the UK, the uh, numbers were released today. So the um, the confirmed cases rose from 1,900 to 2,600, and the number of deaths rose from 71 to 104. So a, a, a very significant jump in the UK. Obviously, the stage that the UK is at uh, is nothing compared to Italy. So here in Europe, Italy now is about to overtake and is set to overtake China tomorrow in terms of the, the number of deaths. And that is quite remarkable when you consider China It has a population well over a billion. Italy has a population of around 50 or 60 million, just a fraction of China. But there are now, uh, there were 475 new deaths in Italy over the past 24 hours. 319 of those were in the province of Lombardy in the north, where Milan, the, the capital of, where its capital is Milan. So that province alone had 319 deaths, and that's uh, uh, just a remarkable figure. So 2,900 people have died in Italy so far. That's 475 new deaths today. So if it's anything similar tomorrow, it will overtake China, which is quite staggering. And part of the reason for that is that Italy has a very old population. It's only part of the reason. But obviously, a great part of the reason, too, is perhaps how Italy managed this. And uh, a lot of questions will have to be answered whenever this crisis ends uh, in Italy and we, we're getting a, a perhaps a glimpse into what's going to happen across Europe. Uh, you mentioned as well uh, in the UK, uh, the move hasn't been taken to close restaurants and such. Are people still uh, going out and are they close together and gathering in these public spaces? 
the answer is yes and no. Of course, yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, um, a big day for pubs uh, across the world. Most pubs closed in many countries, but not in the UK. And I've heard anecdotal evidence of people passing pubs with a lot of people, not keeping uh, social distance, not a, um, a, a keeping a, a two-meter distance between them in those bars, as you can imagine. But a lot of bars, uh, anecdotally as well, that I've seen here in London uh, are virtually empty um, and, and restaurants too. The, our Global News uh, European Bureau here in London is beside a very popular tourist destination, Camden Market, with, with uh, dozens and dozens of food stalls, absolutely deserted today. One of the vendors there, uh, as I was bring, cycling into work today, um, said, I'll give you 30% off uh, if you want to come down and get some lunch here. So they are looking for any business they can, um, but they are open and they're allowed to open, but they have almost no business whatsoever. So no, no tourists, as you can understand, because no one's traveling and British people are basically taking it into their own, their own hands for the most part um, are not going out. And, and do you get the sense that more measures will be announced? And again, with the with the the UK government now taking that move to stop in class instruction, uh, to shut down the the school teaching system, uh, is there any sense that they are going to perhaps at least limit pubs or restaurants or limit these places where it could spread? Well, perhaps where that may happen and is rumored to happen by one British newspaper is saying that London as a whole is set for lockdown. I must stress that that is just one newspaper reporting that here in in the UK. But uh, London is said by the government to be a week or two ahead of the curve in terms of the rest of the UK because London is such a dense, populous city, an international city that so many people travel to and from that London has has seen such a huge concentration of cases relative to, to the rest of the UK that perhaps if there is a lockdown, then it wouldn't be surprising to see a lockdown in London. And you, of course, have the subway network, the London Underground. Would that close the massive transit system across London? Would that be suspended? Pubs and restaurants, supermarkets, these types of things, we don't know yet, but London's... um, municipal government here may take as many steps as it can to do something different to the rest of the UK. But uh, we haven't heard anything concrete as yet when it comes to closing businesses like that. All right. It would be uh, quite something to see if that all came uh, to a grinding halt. Uh, Are people, uh, do you think, are they ready for that? Uh, Unfortunately, in BC, we've seen stockpiling. We've seen people hoarding things like toilet paper. Is anything like that happening there? It's the exact same here. I think it's human nature. I feel, uh, Jill, (laughs) part of this is interesting, or the role of the media in this. Obviously, our job is to report what happens. I feel sometimes when we report about this, we encourage it because people see it and then think they should be doing it. Um, When it doesn't need to be done, of course, the supply lines, the food supply, the supply of things like toilet paper, they won't run out. They almost certainly won't run out. The government says they won't, and the industries are domestic here for many things, so they should keep rolling. But I guess in times of crisis, humans like to uh, stockpile, and that is an instinct that seems to be absolutely universal. But some supermarkets here, like in Canada, are implementing measures to perhaps help older people get their shopping done in the mornings and to limit the number of items that, that can be sold at a supermarket. All right. Uh, Redmond will continue to follow along and see what happens there. Thanks so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. 
Thank you, Jill. Let's bring in Brad West. He's the mayor of Port Coquitlam and joins us once again on the line. Mayor West, thanks for being here again. No problem. Thanks for having me, Jill. Uh, you brought a motion to your council looking at payment fees when it comes to water and sewer levies. So what are you doing to try and ease what might become a burden for some of your residents? So last night, uh, our council directed staff to waive the March 31st uh, penalties uh, associated with utility bills and to extend the deadline for payment uh, to May 31st. And so we know that this is going to be a real challenging time uh, financially for a number of people. And the last thing they need to be worried about is coming up with, uh, in some cases, the five, six, seven hundred dollars that a utility bill would represent. And so we've uh, taken that step. We think it's the right thing to do. And, and we hope it supports our residents who may be dealing with some financial hardship at this time. Uh, have you been hearing from residents asking for those measures or even more? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is such a evolving and fluid situation. And I think every level of gov- government um, should be taking a look at what they can do to support their taxpayers and their residents. And so um, certainly I've been hearing from a number of our residents who are saying, look, you can't get blood from a stone. If, if I'm not working, uh, I don't have you know, 700 bucks to pay a utility bill. And so, again, from our perspective, uh, we want people to be able to take care of their families first and foremost. Uh, and so we thought that this was an appropriate step to take. It, it seems like such a long time ago, although it wasn't really, that we were talking about the various blockades that were happening in BC and other parts of Canada and uh, people inconvenienced when the West Coast Express was shut down for a day. Uh, it, it seems hard to wrap our head around the fact that that was the biggest concern then, uh, given what we're looking at and, and dealing with and what we are going to be dealing with now for the foreseeable future. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it, it's a crazy time in the world, um, and uh, you know it's a time for us to really take care of each other and and uh, look out for one another. And you know I'm really pleased at how our community in Port Coquitlam has been coming together uh, to deal with this uh, virus and to stop the spread and to be doing our part. And I think that's a, a, a key piece of this: is everyone has a responsibility and, and a role to play here. And so, you know, yesterday we were working with our local retailers, uh, particularly our big box retailers, Costco, Walmart, uh, looking for them to implement some common sense uh, regulations to, to make sure that everyone in our community has access to the goods that they need, especially our seniors, and to ensure that the health guidelines that are uh, coming out are being followed so that you know you don't have 500 people at Costco and Port Coquitlam fighting over uh, rolls of toilet paper. And, and I do have to acknowledge that uh, the business community in Port Coquitlam has stepped up and they have been working closely with the city now. They are adhering to the notice that I issued yesterday asking for them to take their steps. And, you know, it is moments like this where, you know, Sometimes you see things that really make you shake your head and wonder, you know, what the heck people are thinking. But there are also moments where, you know, it, it just it really restores your, your, your faith and humanity because people are looking out for each other and they are wanting to do the right thing. And so that's what we want to encourage in our community. And I'm really proud at the way everyone in POCO has come together.
Absolutely. Uh, and just one more note on the, the payment fees then. What will that do to council's budget or what do you think that will do to the city's finances uh, if that does go ahead and you do see a lot of people that are going to have to go that route and waive and not uh, give the fees uh, at this time? So we've worked closely with our finance department to make sure that uh, obviously we're going to able to continue our operations. The city has reserve funds. Um, we are in a, in a position where where we can do this. Um, uh, you know, I think there's a number of people who already have paid or, or will pay by the March 31st deadline because they're in a fortunate position that uh, they haven't been impacted financially. Uh, but for those who, who have been, we want to make sure that this option was available to them. And as we get closer to the new deadline of May 31st, we'll take another look at this and see um, what the situation is on the ground and whether there needs to be a further extension. Uh, but it's really important for the city to be acting proactively, making sure that uh, from a financial perspective, we have uh, the cash flow in place, that we have the reserve funds in place uh, to be able to deal with situations like this. And so uh, I'm glad that we've been prudent and responsible. Uh, and in now, uh, because of that, we're in a position to be able to offer some assistance to our residents. All right. Uh, we will leave it there. Mayor West, thanks again so much. Thank you, Jill. Take care. Let's bring Richard Zussman back. He's the Global News online journalist. He's based in Victoria to kind of break down what we've been dealing with today. Richard, thanks for joining us once again. Yeah, my pleasure, Jill. Uh, So we heard from Mike Farnworth uh, not too, too long ago. Here's just a little bit of what he said. I am declaring a provincial state of emergency. This declaration will make sure federal, provincial, and local resources are delivered in a joint, coordinated way to protect the people of our province. This is an all-hands-on-deck approach. The declaration also includes the means to secure critical supply chains, to ensure people have access to essential goods and services, and that any infrastructure necessary to support the response to COVID-19 is readily available. So, Richard, people might be wondering, because yesterday Dr. Bonnie Henry talked about declaring the public health emergency. Now we have the state of emergency, all about giving officials and government extra powers. So what does this actually do, though, both the health emergency and this now this state of emergency? Yeah, it's a great question, Jill, and one of the things I think that uh, confuses a lot of people. These are just such unrare times, right? And we have rarely seen these powers used. So uh, I'm about to press publish on the updated version of our web story. So there's lots of details in there around the powers um, of the public uh, emergency as well as the public health emergency. But the the main differences are, uh, Minister Farnworth said, the order now allows for greater coordination uh, between levels of government. Uh, It also ensures uh, that there is a uh, control potentially of the supply chain. Uh, Right now, the supply of goods is high. You know, the, the province has been talking to the retail council and there's a lot of things available to fill our grocery stores and, and provide essential needs. But if that changes, there is now a power for the province uh, to potentially ration uh, and put caps on uh, what people can purchase. Uh, Minister Farnworth also announcing today a ban on the resale of essential goods. So we've seen all these stories, which I think has been appalling to a lot of members of the public, of people hoarding supplies, wipes, uh, masks, other goods, and then reselling them. 
That is now illegal in British Columbia based on the powers. But the Health Act that was announced yesterday also has a lot of powers as well. You know, uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry has the power now uh, to enforce rules around social distancing, around crowd size. So if uh, people are breaking those rules, the provincial government has the authority with under the Health Act uh, to step in and fix that as well. So there, there are some similarities, but ultimately the decision today, a provincial state of emergency, just adds another layer in terms of coordination with municipalities as well as, you know, just just providing more options for the provincial government. And at the same time, trying not to cause any more panic. I remember right. asking uh, Dr. Henry a couple of weeks ago, it was probably three weeks ago now, it was right after Washington State had declared a state of emergency, asking what it would take to get it in this province. And it made sense at the time. She said, we already have the powers we need to deal with what's happening. We don't want people to panic. We don't want that to happen. Well, how quickly things change and we get to the point we are now. Uh, but hopefully this does the opposite in the that it, the government officials can stop what you talked about, that ridiculous and that horrible behavior that we're seeing, unfortunately, by some people, and stop that and put people's minds at ease, that they don't have to worry about the supply chain, that it's still fine. Yeah, and that's one of the messages we continue to hear is the supply chain is strong. You know, we're seeing now stories about a run on liquor stores. There were a lot of rumors out there. I received lots of messages from people hearing the liquor stores are going to close. And now what we're seeing is people running to the liquor stores and buying what they believe they need. That is not the case. The stores are not closing and the provincial government says there is ample supply. And but... If things continue to escalate, there are different powers the province now has in order to enforce potential restrictions on the number of things that people can purchase at the store. They're not using those tools just yet, but the powers now do exist for the province to be able to step in here. Uh, I noticed as well in the uh, powers for the, the declared the state of emergency yeah. uh, for today, uh, one of those is to control or pro prohibit travel to or from any area of BC. Uh, there's a good chance uh, that we will never get to that point, hopefully, but also reassuring, I think, for people that should there be a cluster of this virus somewhere or something where people need yeah. to stay out of an area, the province can now order that. Yeah, it's a great point you make there, Jill, and uh, it's something that I, I hope uh, the province doesn't have to do, and, and I know Minister Farnworth hopes he doesn't have to use that. He was asked the question today about, you know, the power of restricting movement, and he said a lot of that was dealt with federally around restrictment with the American border, and it doesn't seem like at this point they're going to use the power to restrict movement, obviously, within British Columbia. But as you mentioned, if we do see potential outbreaks in communities, uh, they have powers in order to evacuate people people from those communities. I think a lot of these measures we've seen applied during the provincial state of emergencies and back-to-back -back summers due to fire, right? Yeah. And during those situations, the province was able to tell people, you must leave your homes now. And if we do see an outbreak in certain communities, we may see something similar. The other one that stood out to me, Jill, as well, in the orders of a state of emergency is the ability of the government to require workers of a certain field or ex expertise to go to work. I asked about that, if that will mean health officials. You know, we've heard a lot of retired doctors are coming back. Will the province ever consider requiring health officials who are either retired or not working in that field anymore to return to work? Uh, Minister Farnworth said, 
they have seen a huge response of retired workers wanting to come back to help. He says British Columbians instinctively know what they need to do here to help, and he hopes he doesn't have to use that power either, but it's a power that's there, and it's quite a strong tool to require workers if they feel like there's an influx and they're needed um, as as um, health uh, health officials in terms of doing you know, the frontline work that, that, that could be required if this crisis continues um, as, as we're seeing it. All right. So we will leave it there, Richard. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you again uh, soon, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. I think most, if not all of us, can agree that since this first started, since we first heard the word coronavirus and then the name COVID-19, the strong and steady voice that has been getting many of us through it is Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry. And if you didn't know who she was before this, my guess is you now know who she is. BC residents have been applauding her calm demeanor, her daily updates on the COVID-19 pandemic, and have really been appreciative of the sense of calm and reassurance she can offer during these turbulent times. Well, two women in particular have taken that admiration a step further, writing and recording a song in tribute to our provincial health officer. Take a listen to just a little bit of the song titled Dear Dr. Bonnie. Dear Dr. Bonnie, what to say to you? You have nice eyes, and we just learned your name. When you came into our world, you cried, and it broke our hearts. We dedicate noon every day to you. Sometimes it's three, and other times early. When Trudeau's late, then we have to wait, and it isn't great. Lead us through self-isolation. We'll work from home for you. Order in groceries too. We will cancel all our fun vacations. We'll stay inside for you. We'll be a month or two. We'll blow this to smithereens. Vaccines, vaccines. We'll destroy COVID-19. All right, that uh, was just a bit of Dear Dr. Bonnie. Joining me on the line now is one of the co-stars of that tribute, Vicki Ferguson. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) take us back. How did this come about that you and your friend decided we're going to write a song and uh, put it to the music, one of the songs of Hamilton? Uh, so it actually came up a few days ago with our third roommate, who's not in the video. We was, had been watching uh, the updates, and I, I think it sort of got stuck in our head before we really sat down to think about it in full. <laughs> All right, and uh, I, I should give credit where credit is due. It was you, so it's you, and who else is in the video with you? Uh, so it's Amy Shire in the video with me, uh, one of my roommates, and then uh, the our third roommate who uh, was part of the inspiration is Pippa Adams. All right. And so who did most of the writing? Uh, Amy and I did that together a couple nights ago. <laughs> and how long did it take to write the song? Um, a lot less time than you'd think. I, I think we did it in like a half hour or so. <laughs> wow, a half hour to put all those lyrics down. 
Yeah, we um, we kind of got on a roll, and <laughs> and it was it was pretty quick. And were you both, or are you both Hamilton fans, or how did you choose that particular music bed? Uh, we are both Hamilton fans. I think I I'm not sure which one of us thought of it at first, but I had sort of just been thinking about Dear Doctor Bonnie for a while, and then uh, went from there. <laughs> and uh, I, I wouldn't imagine I, I don't think I know there's a fan club Twitter handle for Dr. Bonnie Henry I don't think she herself is on Twitter do you know if she has seen it? I, I don't know if she has seen it um, but it seems like a lot of people have seen it so uh, yeah not sure Yeah, what kind of response are you getting? Um, we've had kind of an overwhelming response. Um, it was we just put it up at like nine p.m. yesterday, and uh, we've had tweets and retweets from all kinds of Canadian journalists and politicians, which has kind of uh, been wild. <laughs> Absolutely, I noticed on the 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 tweet as well, and in the video, you also thanked. Was it Eddie Bauer that you thanked for the the wardrobe? We did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very Canadian. It was a very Canadian-looking uh, wardrobe. It was very good work. Um, and, and we're making light of it and having fun with it, and it is a very uh, serious situation, but it's got to be helpful. And I think you've really tapped into something that so many of us uh, appreciate every day when we listen to Dr. Bonnie Henry is that she just has this sense of calm. And even when she's telling you that things have gotten worse, it seems somehow okay. Yeah, I... Um didn't get on the listening to the Dr. Bonnie updates uh, from the beginning, just sort of started uh, tuning into them last week. So uh, it's, it's, and now I'm sort of searching every day for what time is it going to be and, and finding that uh, a calming part of my day. Really. Absolutely. Uh, any other songs? Are there any other healthcare professionals or politicians that have inspired you? Um, we were uh, somewhat joking about possibly Rosie Barton leading a song last night, so uh, I, I don't know where, where we'll go with that. <laughs> you could find some good rhyming there, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you and your roommates, so you're not personally, or are you personally affected by, by this as far as do you know anybody that's isolating or, or dealing with uh, the repercussions of COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, we know many people who are isolating for a variety of reasons. Um, my sister is immunocompromised, so has decided to isolate um, for that reason. We do also have a friend who has tested positive uh, in the U.S., though, so mm. not locally. But uh, so we're supporting her from afar as well. Oh, absolutely. Is she okay? She is, yeah. She's, uh, she has a fever and generally feels like someone who has the flu, but uh, is doing pretty okay. It's got, you mentioned uh, with the roommates too. So three, is there, there's three of you that are that share accommodation. There's three of us that live here. Um, Pippa, who is not in the video, has chosen to go back to Victoria and uh, with with her mom. So we are we are able to keep lots of space between us. <laughs> I was going to say because you br you bring up another issue, and when people, especially in Vancouver and Victoria, people tend to live a lot of times in very small spaces. It's pretty difficult to to keep the one meter to two meter distance when you're in those kind of quarters. Yeah, I mean it certainly would be in lots of accommodations. We're pretty lucky um, being renters in Vancouver. We actually have a decent amount of space for where we are. But um, yeah, I, I'm sure that there are some people in basement suites and smaller accommodations that are, would have a challenge with that. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, you guys, for doing that work, putting that song together and uh, bringing some smiles and some laughter to people uh, in this otherwise very serious time. Uh, My guess is someone will show it to Dr. Bonnie Henry. You might hear from her. You never know. But uh, let us know if you record any other songs. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks, you too. Uh, Let's shift gears a little bit. And uh, one topic that's not talked about a whole lot, uh, there hasn't been a ton of coverage on this, is animals during the COVID-19 pandemic and pet owners that could also find themselves in need of a little help. Well, the Raps Animal Hospital, which is a full-service, not-for-profit veterinary facility in Richmond, B.C., is offering some financial help for pets and households that are affected economically by this health emergency, anything that is COVID-19 related. RAPS is now offering no interest wellness plans for its clients uh, who might be experiencing coronavirus related or other financial challenges. And that uh, as a community-owned facility, the hospital already really prides itself on having overall good rates, offering discounts, particularly to people who find themselves in a difficult situation when it comes to paying for that. Uh, Let's bring in I.L. Lichtman, CEO and Executive Director of the Regional Animal Protection Society. A.L., thank you so much for being with us today. I'm really excited to be with you. Thank you. Uh, it is something, I mean, we got so focused, and, and rightly so. I mean, we have states of emergency being declared. We have new numbers and big spikes in the number of virus infections. Uh, but day to day, there are many people out there I know that are also dealing with the financial woes of pets. And if that's coupled with being laid off or not getting hours at work, that can be really difficult for people. Very, very difficult, and that's what we're experiencing. So we want people to know that they don't have to make a decision between, you know, keeping their family safe and secure as well as their pet, and pets are part of family, right? And that we really should look at caring for the for the pets as an essential service, same as uh, taking care of our family members at a regular hospital. So we're going to remain open as an essential service for the public for that reason. Uh, are there any rules or any new guidelines then as far as the public accessing the facility? Yes. So what we've done is we've tried to limit uh, interaction between people as much as possible coming to the hospital. So we're asking people to drive up to the hospital stay in their cars, let us know that uh, they are here, and we're going to let patients in one at a time. Um, We're going to examine the patients, and um, they can either wait in their their car or come back later. They can leave uh, the animals with us. And uh, we've got staff sterilizing the premises uh, multiple times a day. So uh, we're keeping everything very, very clean. So Nobody should fear about uh, coming and utilizing uh, the services, especially if their animal is in distress or there's an emergency. I got an email from an animal law lawyer that is often on the radio program. She talks about a lot of different cases. She was bringing up the point that a couple of things that haven't been talked about, and actually a listener emailed me earlier today asking about the spread of the virus. And from everything I've read and looked at, it does not appear that animals, dogs, pets can contract the virus and or spread it. And and I think maybe that's something that needs to be put to people in case people are fearful of that. That is absolutely correct. So um, IDEX, which is one of the biggest uh, laboratories for animals in all of North America, has tested thousands of dogs and cats, and they've not found the virus in any of them, and it's practically zero that 
uh, percent that they're spreading it. So this is what we've been told, and this has been uh, also confirmed with the College of Veterinarians. Um, so people should not be worried about animals transmitting the disease. And we also, unfortunately, when we're dealing with something like this, even though in many cases what we're dealing with is unprecedented, but when we're dealing with financial downturn, economic uncertainty, unfortunately, we tend to see an uptick in animals that are surrendered. That is correct. And we want to avoid that. And we don't want people surrendering just because of financial concerns, because we're going to need staff and volunteers in hopefully helping to care for those animals. So if animals are coming to the shelter, that's an essential service as well. And it's going to require people to take care of them. Right now, what we are doing is we're trying to foster out all the animals at the shelter into homes so that the fewest amount of people will have to take care of uh, shelter animals. So please don't, um, don't surrender your animal unless it's an absolute emergency to do so. And anyway, we've closed uh, the shelter down to the public except for emergency cases. We will help you at the animal hospital with your financial needs if that's the consideration. There's no need to surrender. So if somebody is hearing this or somebody finds themselves in a situation where uh, they've temporarily been laid off or uh, maybe they are looking at financial challenges because of what's happening, uh, they have a pet that needs treatment that they need to bring in. How is that? How will you deal with that person? So that person should either call the hospital, which is uh, 604-242-1666, or they can go online uh, to make an appointment. But we're also taking walk-ins. So walk-ins will be you drive up to the hospital, just give us a call, say you're downstairs, you've got an immediate need, and our staff will come and help you. So, um, And the payment plan is is the biggest part of this, right? So the wellness plan really is an interest-free payment plan based on each individual, and we will work with you so that you can make payments after you go back to work. Don't worry about it right now. As a charity, we get donations, and our whole purpose is to help subsidize the care in order to provide relief to the public. It's the only model of its kind in BC. We hope to, you know, expand that model in the future. But uh, for now, just know that there is a place you can come and that uh, finances aren't uh, the issue. And are you concerned at all with uh, the financial downturn, with what's going to be a difficult few months, that donations might be down or that that's going to have an impact on your operation as well? Yes. So like every other charity, um, donations we're worried about, um, you know, and depleting, you know, our finances. But um we think that we can handle this and we're reaching out to, you know, our biggest donors right now who are stepping up and stepping forward. So it shouldn't be a, a concern over the next six months. We think we're fine and that we have more than enough resources to help the public. Nobody should be worried about that. All right. And and does it, is there any limit to what uh, people are dealing with as far as the, the severity of what somebody might be dealing with? If we're talking about, uh, say, an animal with uh, an, aller- an allergic reaction uh, as opposed to, say, an animal that needs surgery, is there any limit to what people can access through your uh, animal hospital? Our hospital is fully equipped to handle every single emergency. We're very fortunate that the best equipment on the market has been donated to us. Um, And we've got both uh, the vet and the staff uh, to support everyone. It doesn't matter the condition, just come in. The most important thing is, is 
don't try to prolong every, anything at a home that you think might turn into a, a serious condition. Come and see us. All right. And uh, tell people again where you're located in case people don't know. So the easiest thing to remember is we're located inside the Richmond Auto Mall. And um, we've got, you know, uh, lots of parking. So just remember that we're inside the Richmond Animal Hospital. Uh, sorry, that we're inside the Richmond Auto Mall and it's the Rapt Animal Hospital. All right. Uh, great work. And it uh, will be a relief, I'm sure, for a lot of people that might have been concerned about that. Uh, A.L. Lichtman, thank you so much for joining us and talking about this today. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it.